nation and the kingdom of God in the world. So you're invited to come to that. And with that being said, today's topic or title is Let's Contend for the Will of Heaven in 2011. Have you found Mark chapter 11 yet? Before we read that, I'd just like for us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Jesus, in teaching in Matthew chapter 6, he told his disciples, In this manner, therefore pray. Can we pray it together? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is a pattern for prayer. He concludes this up, the next two verses, by talking about how important forgiveness is. Verse 14, he says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So forgiving, our, our forgiving sins is very important. He's not only given us authority to forgive sins, He's commanded us to forgive sins. And so a major key to having our prayers answered and heard is forgiveness. His will is really what prayer is about. Praying for His will to be done. And if there's ever any question about the will of God when it comes to forgiveness, the answer is yes, He wills to forgive our sins and He wills for us to forgive sins. And then He goes on throughout more verses in the chapter about the need to be persistent in prayer, not giving up. Other promises like He who asks, receives. He who knocks, it will be open. He who seeks, will find. Don't give up talks about the need for persistence in prayer. In this prayer is a pattern for prayer that I often use and others have used it. It's approaching God on the basis of who He is, our Father in Heaven. He's your Father. In light of that, it makes you His child. Amen? You're calling on His name in prayer. And the whole crux of the prayer is for His kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in Heaven. There's no unforgiveness in Heaven there's forgiveness in heaven, and He wills for that same forgiveness to be a reality in our life. So if it's the will of God in heaven, it's got to be His will on earth. And so that's, this, is his, this is His commission for us to pray. Why would He ask for us to pray for His will on earth as it is in heaven if He's a sovereign God? If what He wills is done, then why do we have to ask Him to do His will? Because He's a sovereign God, and He wills for us to ask for Him to do His will. Get ahead of myself. Thoughts on prayer. God wills for us to pray for His heavenly will to be done on earth. He uses our prayers to initiate heavenly change in the earthly realm. As a sovereign God, this is, this is the way He set it up. We are His co-laborers. He does the work, we do the praying. And sometimes the work, too. You ever found the Lord use you to be answered to your own prayer? While God uses our prayers to change things, He also uses them to change us. It's true. If you've got a problem, personally, you better pray. And in prayer, wrestle it out with God and find out the reason why you've got this problem. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's, as I shared a couple Sundays ago, maybe it's envy. The Lord showed me that the root of that issue in my heart was pride. 
and the lack of love for others. That came about through prayer. So prayer changes things, but it also changes us. And if we are changed, man, it, 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 it's, it's awesome. Fourthly, like his son did, God wills for our will to align with his will as we truly surrender to him in prayer. Remember, before he went to the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there is a struggle going on that's so great he is sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. Father, is there another way, or do I have to go to the cross? If there's another way, let it be done. But not what I will. Your will be done. And he, he prayed like that for an hour. And then he'd get up and walk around and come back and pray it again. Lord, is there some other way? You know, that's a lot of pain he was about to face. He didn't want to do it. But you know what? When we yield to God's will, we may not like the process, but we will love the outcome. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, but looking forward to the resurrection that was to come. After fully surrendering to God and his will, we will always discover that his way is the best way. And so in prayer, we must surrender to the will of God. Prayer is not this approach to God as though he's a vending machine. Definitely not like the one we have in our kitchen right now. Sorry, it's empty of Cokes. We've lost the number to the guy who owns it, and he won't call us. And We've got seven up, I think. Anyway. God's not like a roulette machine, you know, put in the prayer and you might get something back, you might not. It's everything to do with His will. His will, not mine. That's why forgiveness is so important. Because many times when bitterness is in our heart, it's because someone broke our heart or someone dared to cross our will as though we were God. Someone dared to cross us and now we can't let it go. And the will of God is for us to let it go. His will must reign supreme. That's why for our prayers to be heard and answered, we must line our hearts with the will of God and begin to forgive people of their sins. Forgive them. And finally, once we know God's will, our prayers can move mountains. Look at Mark chapter 11. In verse 12, he comes out from a community called Bethany and he was hungry and he sees a fig tree covered in leaves. Looks at it for fruit. It's not fruit season. But he, as an illustration to the power of prayer and the spoken word, he curses the tree. The next day he comes back and the tree is dead. Verse 21. Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. I mean, it's the next morning. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Can we say that together? Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Um, the preposition in, in the Greek language, can be, can be translated have faith from God. Or have faith of God. Faith, true biblical faith, comes from God. You recognize that? By grace are you saved through faith. And that faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. 
Faith is one of the gifts of the Spirit. The gift of faith. Faith is one of the fruit of the Spirit. So faith comes from God. Romans chapter 10, talking about saving faith, said faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Some misappropriately quote that and add the word hearing a dozen times. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the Word of God. Um, it doesn't say that. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So how does hearing come? Hearing comes when God speaks. And when God speaks and we hear, faith comes. So faith is a result of hearing and hearing is a result of speaking. Remember the silly question, when a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound if no one's there to hear it? The key is we must hear God. All right? We must hear God. And when we have heard God, we have faith. It's that simple. When you hear God speak a word to your heart, you then have faith. It's not something you generate. I'm going to get some faith today, so I'm going to, I'm going to read this verse a thousand times, trying to work it up. You, you get some flesh in there. Maybe, maybe you do need to read the verse a thousand times, but don't ever do it to try to work something up. Faith comes from hearing God, and we need to hear God. And so in an effort to hear God, we make ourselves available to him. And when we pray, if he brings unforgiveness to the surface of our heart, I don't know, I'm not... I wasn't planning on preaching on that. But if he brings it to the surface of our heart, that's him speaking to you. So obey him in that, in that avenue and forgive, and you'll be amazed at what you might hear him say to your heart. You'll have faith that can move mountains. Now, um, E.W. Kenyon is somebody that's highly respected in a lot of circles, but he made a mistake in dealing with this verse. He said it means to have the God kind of faith or have faith like God. It does not say that. It's have faith in God or of God or from God. To have, to have faith like God's, that's an imitation. You know, when I drink water, I want real water. I don't want imitation water. If I'm going to walk in faith, I want faith from God. I don't want some imitation. You understand? Um, here's the keys to my Chevy Colorado. You can have a Chevy Colorado just like mine, or you can have mine if I was going to give it away. A Chevy Colorado like mine might not be like mine. It might be a matchbox truck. You ever have matchbox cars? The faith God wants us to have is not toy faith. It's His faith. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which we see are made of things which are invisible. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. This is the faith God wants us to have. And it starts with God. It's Him giving us that part of His nature that comes when we hear Him speak to us. And He is definitely saying something today about forgiving people that have sinned against us. And if He's speaking that to your heart, receive it. And He'll give you the faith to obey it. They might hurt me again. They might. Building trust takes time. But forgiveness takes obedience. 
I don't trust her. Or I don't trust him. That's fine. But we must forgive. And allow the blood of Jesus to be the payment. The penalty. The punishment for the sins of those that have been committed against us. Amen. So once we know God's will, our faith can move mountains. Have faith in God. For as surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. You know, I prepare a sermon, I have these notes, and I get up here and then these thoughts just come through my mind. And um, I have a new friend who's trying to convert me to Roman Catholicism. And I've learned some very alarming things. And so please understand this. Please understand this. I am not a Roman Catholic basher. But there are some beliefs they have that are causing me very great concern. And it has to do with forgiving of sins. It has to do with the forgiving of sins. If someone sins against you, you have authority to forgive their sins. If someone sinned against God, they need to go to God and have their sins forgiven. Now, there is a place for going to a human being. The Bible says, confess your faults, your sins, your weaknesses, your trespasses, one to another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. So I'm not blasting confessing your sins to someone. But this is what I've learned. They believe that they have been commissioned not only to forgive sins, but also to withhold forgiveness. To retain sins. And the one verse they use is where Jesus breathed on his disciples in John chapter 20. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. I never struggled with the interpretation of that scripture before because I see it in light of these other things. If you forgive sins, your sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive sins, your sins won't be forgiven. And how many people won't forgive their alcoholic uh, parent and they become an alcoholic? unforgiveness creates the same thing. So we retain sin by forgiving. But they believe they are commissioned to retain sin. And certain sins require longer period of time to be forgiven. Okay? I'm going somewhere with this. There's one particular sin, if you've committed it, it'll take you ten years. Ten years. They'll retain your sin against you for ten years before they'll pronounce you exonerated. Now, That's not right. But before we look down our long noses at the Catholics, how many years are you holding someone on probation for what they've done? And while I am talking about the Catholics, if you have Catholicism in your background, check it out. There may be some of that religion robbing you of the joy of having all that hurt and poison taken out of your heart. There's some mountains that can be moved today. Now, some will read this passage and apply it to everything in their life. They're commanding everything to move. And, of course, everything doesn't move, and they get a little confused and maybe discouraged. 
it has to do, everything's filtered through the will of God. The mountains in your life, if they are obstacles to the will of God, speak and things will happen. A year or so ago, I went to the funeral of a great missionary woman, a Pentecostal missionary to South Africa named Nona Freeman. And she told a story. She used to tell a story of two children that had to walk around a mountain to school in South Africa. And they read this promise, and they began to speak to that mountain. And it wasn't too long before some company bought the mountain and moved the thing. Now, question. Was it God's will for children to go to school? Yes. He doesn't want our kids sucking their thumb and sitting around and not doing anything with their lives for the rest of their life, does he? So it's his will to go to school, and this was a hindrance to that. They spoke, and it literally happened in a unique way. God does the same thing over and over again, but he does it differently each time. He's so creative. He could have had somebody come and drill a tunnel through that thing. Sometimes, though, he wills for us to climb the mountain. Jesus faced a mountain, Mount Calvary. And in Gethsemane, he tries to speak to the mountain. Father, is there another way? Is there another way to redeem humanity? Let it be, but not what I will. Thy will be done. It was the Father's will that that mountain not be moved. He had to climb that thing. And carry the sins of the world upon his back. It's his will that reigns supreme. And when mountains and obstacles get in our way, don't get mad at God. Begin to labor in prayer and begin to speak to those circumstances. And you'll be amazed at what will happen. Filtered through the will of God, of course. Here's an Old Testament example of Joshua speaking to the sun, which was going down. And the darkness that was about to come was going to be an obstacle to a promise from God being fulfilled. You remember Moses turned the reins of authority over to him, and God took Moses, and Moses died. And Joshua was the one who was leading the children of Israel from town to town. He led them to Jericho. They saw a great victory. He led them to Ai. They made a mistake, but eventually they saw great victory there. He made another mistake. Uh, they were not to make any covenants or agreements with the people. They were to conquer the land. And some people named from Gibeon, known as the Gibeonites, disguised themselves as poor people to make people feel sorry for them. And came to Joshua and begged them to make a covenant with them. Without praying, without seeking God, who knows that the will of God is, is awesome, but it takes prayer and seeking Him. Without praying, they did it. They made an agreement. Then they discovered, oops, this is a big nation, and now we are obligated to them. Now we're going to have to live in, live with them. So, but God expected them, God expected them to live up to their word. Tell your neighbor, God expects you to live up to your word. Now, there is a verse in um, 
Proverbs about co-signing. It says if you've co-signed something, don't go to sleep till you get yourself set free from your neighbor. Don't rest. You let it rest, you're stuck. God expects us to live up to our agreements. If you've married someone, it is His will that you make the marriage work. That's His will. It's His will. Oh, but I married the wrong person. You know, that's one lie the devil couldn't tell Adam and Eve. Man, I had better hurry. So God expected them to live up to their promise to the Gibeonites. When you have a covenant with someone between nations, their enemies become your enemies. And the Gibeonites came under a threat. Five kingdoms were on the attack, attacking them. They came to the Israelites, and of course they had to come through on their agreement. The men of Gibeon, Joshua 10, 6-9, the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell on the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. He promises them absolute, total victory. Tell your neighbor, not a man shall stand. That was the promise. So Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. Verse 10, So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with great slaughter at Gibeon, chasing them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makkedah. Pardon my Hebrew. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the ascent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There was more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. So God's destroying more of the enemy than they are. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. The sun is setting. They're promised total victory, but if it gets dark, somebody's going to get away and be a thorn in their side later. So instead of crying, God, you promised, and now it's getting dark, he just took authority and walked in the authority God had given him and spoke to the mountain that was the obstacle in his life that was going to hinder them from fulfilling their promise. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? Now, if you're a biblical archaeologist, we, nobody knows where that book is. One day they'll discover it. It's called the book of justice. And so the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it, that the Lord heeded the voice of man. For the Lord fought for Israel. The Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. What a, what a story. What a, what, a, what a story. Well, Pastor, I don't know if I believe that. Is there any, any research that's been done on it? Well, towards the end of the 18th century, or 19th century, 
a controversial guy who was a retired professor of military science from Yale University named Charles Totten published a controversial study on Joshua's long day. One of his sources was a report by the Greek historian Herodotus who wrote that when he visited Egypt, the priest there showed him an ancient manuscript which told the story of a day which lasted about twice as long as a normal day. The Egyptians had water clocks at the time so they could measure the duration of time without looking at the sun. From the Egyptian account, we also find that a French classical scholar, Fernand Crombet, or would it be Crombet, translated some Egyptian hieroglyphics which tell of Joshua's long day. The text starts out with an edict from the king to exempt from taxation those who had been victims of a flood some two weeks earlier. Evidently, the flood had been caused by an unusually high tide. The cause, according to the Egyptian hieroglyphics, was the sun thrown into confusion had remained low in the horizon by not rising, had spread terror amongst the great doctors. Two days had been rolled into one. The morning was lengthened to one and a half normal times, the normal period of effective daylight. And a certain time after this phenomenon, the master uh, Egyptian had an image built to keep further misfortune from the country. There's, there's still more. So here is a map that um, a theologian made of this long day. Uh, now we know the sun doesn't move around the earth, but we all talk about sunrise, sunset. The earth is the one that rotates and gives the appearance that the sun moves. So did the earth stop in its rotation, or did it bobble in such a way that the sunlight stayed, the sun appeared to stay in the same place on Joshua's long day? I'm not sure, but this is what's interesting. Tales tales relating to a very long night occur amongst Native American Indian tribes in North America. Almost all the tales tell of a very long night. There's the Ojibwes, who have a folk tale of a long night without any any light. And missionary Paul Lejeune heard from the Wyandotte Indians of a very long night. And the Bungee Indians from Lake Manitou. Lake Winnipeg area of Canada also tell of a long night. Um, the Mexican Indians in a book called The Annals of Chautician tell of a long night. The Aztecs wrote of an extended period of time when the sun did not rise. Uh, you can research this online and check it out. Peru, there's a story of the sun being hidden for nearly 20 hours. And this is kind of funny. In West Africa, there's a folk tale of a very long night that lasted too long because the owl overslept and forgot to wake up the sun. Well, that's just too far-fetched for me. Well, you know what? We live in a day when far-fetched things happen all the time. If you knew uh, what's happening in all the cells of your body, you'd be amazed. Listen to this story. Here's a picture of a pickup truck that had been coming from the right, the opposite direction, and had lost control and hit the guardrail. See the gap in the guardrail there where the group is standing? And flipped over and hit the uh, culvert and landed right side up facing the other way. Amazing. And the two passengers, a 22-year-old guy and his 18-year-old passenger, were unhurt, except for minor cuts and bruises. Now, Let's look at the rest of the picture. Is that amazing or what? There has to be 
There has to be explanations sometimes for things like this. God's, God has a plan. He has a will. Now I'm about to show you a video that's entitled, It's Your Lucky Day. It's a series of clips of amazing survivals from things that could be angelic activity. The last one may be demonic activity, so watch it close. I'll say I'm lucky This is my lucky day I'm all in clover I'm glad all over I want to shout hooray I found a horseshoe Couldn't go wrong And then of course you happened along oh boy i'm lucky i'll say i'm lucky this is my lucky day Some things can't be explained. Um, our daughter is a midwife at Harris Methodist Hospital and John Peter Smith in Fort Worth. And so every couple of weeks she's on duty uh, at one of those establishments for 24 hours. And so last Wednesday she was on duty from 8 a.m. to 8 a.m. And in the middle of the day this uh, couple came in. And the father informed her, we want to have our baby today because it's my birthday. So I was like, well, you know, she's a midwife, so they, she was able to do things maybe to induce labor, but, but not the extreme thing immediately. So, um, that, you know, they booked this couple in, in the hospital, and, and she began to do the midwife things to get labor 
happening. She had zero faith for the baby to be born on Wednesday. Even though it was the dad's birthday, sorry. You know, that's not a priority here. We're not going to do a C-section just so you can have your baby on, on, on your birthday. At 11.54 p.m., she got the call in her little break room, come on, she's now at 7 centimeters. Okay, that's great. That's good. 11.58, she got a call, her water broke. So Summer began to run. She made it to the room at midnight, and there lay the baby. She asked the nurse that delivered the child, what time did the baby arrive? The nurse said 11.59. And the dad's over in the corner crying, God loves me. He gave me my birthday wish. My hope today is to encourage you in your prayer life, to begin to pray bold again, to not give up on the prayers. I prayed some prayers and they weren't answered. Maybe they weren't answered. And maybe they were answered and you're just on your way to the answer. You know, God is, is, lives outside the realm of time and He hears us when we call and He can answer when we call. He can hear us before we ask. And it's not so much that the answer is on the way, but you're on your way to the answer. It's already been answered somewhere, maybe in the future, maybe before the sun goes down today, a miracle will happen in your life. Here's a New Testament example of speaking to mountains. In Acts 4, the early church was threatened with persecution. This was very real. Wives were threatened that their husbands might lose their jobs or lose their lives. Husbands were threatened that their children might experience unfair treatment. When they received the report from the apostles, it says they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, You are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of Your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What, what mountain are they speaking to? The mountain of fear and intimidation. God, give us boldness to speak your word. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. And with great power, verse 33, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So in continuing for the will of heaven in 2011, let's pray for a revelation of His will for us. fully surrender my life to His will daily. Sometimes every day we need to forgive people and declare His will over all our obstacles. Can we stand? Let's do this right now. Just bow our heads.
Father, we pray for a revelation of your will for us. Just pray that right now in your own, between you and the Lord. Lord, give me a fresh revelation of your will for me. There's some forgiveness that needs to happen. Show me. Help me. And Lord, help me to fully surrender my will to your will today. Give you my life. Now, what obstacles are you facing in doing God's will? Is it economic? Is it relational? Social? Does it have to do with your employment? Is it your physical health? Is it your finances? Is it an easy besetting sin? Is it fear? Is it intimidation? Just, just close your eyes and think. What, what obstacle is, is in your life to more of the will of God being done? By faith, I want you to put that thing in your hand. And I'm just going to, like a loose cannon, just speak to stuff. Father, in the name of Jesus, we speak to every mountain and every obstacle to your will being done to the will of heaven in 2011 in our lives, Lord. Lord, we speak to lack. We speak to weakness. We speak to fear. We speak to the lack of faith, the lack of courage. Lord, we speak abundance. Lord, let, let every mountain, every obstacle be moved. Lord, we speak to health issues. Lord, we command cancer to go. We command tumors to disappear. Lord, we command uh, tendencies to be sick to begin to stop in Jesus' name. Lord, we command the mountains of unforgiveness to leave our hearts. Lord, we command the lack of trust in You to leave in Jesus' name. Lord, we command the obstacles of disappointment and religion to leave in Jesus' name. Lord, let every mountain that holds us back from You be gone in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for Your people. I pray that You bring fresh revelation of Your will for each of our lives, Lord. Surely it's more than just being an American and living the American dream. Surely, Lord, You've saved us for more than this. So, Lord, open our eyes to begin to see Your purpose for our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I'd like for the prayer team to join me across the front. And anyone desiring to receive prayer about anything, we're here to pray for you. To speak to those mountains. To agree with you in prayer. And so, as the prayer team's coming forward, just come on forward with them. Just come on up with them. If you need to receive prayer, just come on up and join us. Amen. Hallelujah.
a believer, I want to challenge you to pray for someone today before you leave here. Just look around and go to someone. If you don't know them, introduce yourself. Say, can I pray with you about anything? Will you do that? Who will do that? Just look around and find someone to pray with and say, can I pray with you about anything? If not, well then just make a new friend. Praise the Lord. Let's worship.
Yeah. 